0: In each episode, you'll hear a real person sharing their story of loss and the insights they have gained that help them on their journey with grief. At Grief Stories, we're helping grief make sense one story at a time. Today's guest is Liz, an artist and activist who's sharing the story about losing her mom as a young teen and later losing three early pregnancies on her way to becoming a parent. Mm. Welcome to the Grief Stories podcast, Liz. Thanks for joining us as a guest today. Thank you so much for having me, Maureen. So, to begin with, I'm, I wonder if you want to just begin by telling us some of your story of loss and some of what what you have experienced in the realm of grief. And this is the Grief Stories podcast, and that's often where we begin.
1: Yeah, um the the most obvious place for me to start uh is maybe not the most accurate place for me to start but but it's where I'll start anyway. Um I lost my mum when I was just about to turn 16. Uh she died from a cancer that she had fought for about a year and a half um which is about uh three times the amount of time that that they'd expected her to live when she got her diagnosis um but the the whole the whole piece leading up to her death itself was a loss in a way because it was a loss um of my relationship with my mom and uh, and her being well enough to, to have the kind of relationship that we'd had when i was younger and um it was a loss of my a, a large chunk of my teenage years my high school years um and i can i can go a whole bunch more into to that in
0: detail later right. on it's to, that anticipatory loss of knowing that it was coming and the loss of all of the things not only for the future but even in your present at that age at that young age
1: totally well and well i'll just go here now because it feels relevant um the The way that she actually got diagnosed was uh, that we used to go at the summer before I started high school, so I, I was fourteen, and uh, it was pretty it was pretty wild. We used to just hang out all the time and and go sit on our back deck. We both were avid readers; I still am, uh, and and we would sit on the back deck and read, and usually eat snacks and and tea and all that good stuff. And it was something that. Uh, I really loved and looked forward to. And there was one day we're getting ready to go do that. And my mom, and I can't remember what it was, but trying to say something and couldn't think of the words that she wanted to use. Uh, and this had been happening a lot lately. And, and then she just kind of lost it. Like she just kind of snapped and started crying. And she was so frustrated she couldn't communicate properly. So at this time in my life, I was kind of figuring out that uh, I... I had depression and so I've been, you know, doing some Googling as you do when you're 14, trying to wrap your head around something like that. And I thought to myself, my mom is having some sort of mental health crisis right now and that makes me sad and I don't know what to do. So I called my aunt and I said, I don't know what's going on. Something is very wrong and I need you to come get mom and we need to go to the hospital. And my aunt left work, and she came and picked us up. We went to the hospital, and uh, by the end of the day, she had been diagnosed with a brain tumor and had a brain surgery scheduled. Uh, so from then on, she was she was in the hospital for a while. Uh, and and actually, my memory gets very, like, hazy and weird over the next little while, as as often happens, I think, with trauma, especially around those, like, very formative years. Your brain's doing so much. Um, that when trauma's involved, you know all
0: about this? I do. The trauma experience kind of puts some of your memory skills on hold and some of your, you know, the way that we file our memories and even the way that we are present in the moment when those things are happening. Trauma has um, a big impact on how we take it in and hold it.
1: Yeah, and I feel it for sure. It's yeah. it's pretty interesting so from there she ended up having brain surgery my first week of high school. So my first week of grade nine. Um, and I remember it was a big deal because my dad got me a cell phone, which almost none of my friends had at that time. This was before everyone had cell phones and, and it was a big deal. I had to go to my teacher the day of her surgery. And I said, Hey, uh, I'm going to keep my phone on me and I'm going to keep my ringer on today because this is what's going on. And, uh, so, from that kind of goes to show you the role that, that I took on and the responsibility I felt. Uh, yeah. And it's funny, I, I mean, we'll get a little bit more into my story, how it relates to being a mother. Um, but I think I actually became a mother then. And I think that when I, when I did physically, actually, quote unquote, become a mother, um, it felt very familiar. For me, it was, I think, less of a transition than I expected it to be because really I felt like I was at home, um, but that I had um, a, a more appropriate outlet for that mothering yeah. uh, because there was, of course, that in-between space between losing my mom and becoming a mother where I was like trying to mother, but didn't even realize that's what I was trying to do. Um, Because I don't think at 14, 15, 16, I would have named it that way. It it wasn't something that made sense to communicate my experience that way at that point, but it totally, it totally did.
0: Yeah, Um, when you moved into that caregiver role, right away that day when you noticed something was wrong and you took action about it, that was a pivot point into caregiving you right? mm. Mothering and and sh- the role shifted then. And then you had this interim period between mm. your mom's passing and your uh, birth experience where you had all of this caregiving mothering energy that didn't have a a, a place that was necessarily as acceptable to land totally and it's funny I mean the, the form that that took
1: for me uh, and you know you you know about this because this was kind of how we actually first met I thought that I wanted to go into social work uh, I thought you know what I I'm really good at taking care of people and i'm you know i'm pretty practiced at trying to find the balance between being able to take care of myself while doing that which is important when when you work in social work and and i love teenagers i have this huge spot in my heart for teenagers as you know this like grown up wounded teenager um so so that was kind of what i thought that i wanted and that actually was really the next big grief piece in my life, uh, which was realizing after working a little bit in frontline social work, um, not as a social worker, but but <laughs> in various other roles, um, I realized, oh, right, I actually really don't do very well in systems. Uh, right. <laughs> that's not that's not my skill set. I I see why they exist. I see why they are important. I feel I I'm glad that there are people that work well in systems and I'm not one of them. Uh so so that was that was really challenging for me too was figuring out, oh my gosh, this thing that I have dedicated years and years of my life working towards that I thought was like who I am. Yeah. <laughs> it it wasn't actually well suited to me at all I. and yep. that was that was pretty wild
0: so you're grieving the loss of your mom and you've got this identity piece that you're trying to plug in someplace where it might fit and then you've got as you come to that realization you've got the loss of that what you thought was going to be your identity as well and so you've got layers of grief layers of grief building kind of into place there you know, and then, and then, you know, I know we've talked different times, you and I, about your story, and you have more grief yet to come in this story, mm-hmm. right? Sure do. Sure yeah. do.
1: Um, so, around the same time that I realized or was realizing that, that social work wasn't actually uh, my calling, um, my partner and I decided that we wanted to try to have a baby. And this was something that both of us, really um, I apologize for any background noises my child is at my feet playing with things if it gets too distracting let me know okay. um, so we yeah this is something we were really intentional about we'd been together for like eleven years or ten years I guess at that point um, and and we'd always been really really careful about you know what we like the idea of having a baby one day, but we're not there. We don't feel like this is the right time. This isn't something we want right now. Uh, so, you know, I, I tried all the different birth controls over the years, and and we were very, very careful about that. Um, we really strongly believe that that you know it's important to be intentional about becoming parents because um, you know we both had our our own struggles with parents and you know obviously my situation was a pretty wild situation in my teen years and and you know my dad having to navigate that as a newly single parent and so so and he my my partner has his whole story about his relationship with his parents and loss around that so so we were like you know what we're going to we're going to really try our very best at this and to be intentional with this so when we did get there and we decided you know what let's do it uh we kind of thought that it would happen relatively quickly and I'm a big researcher I love researching things I like rabbit hole down everything and I thought oh yeah I know I'm I'm all about learning to track my cycle and I'm going to take my temperature and I'm going to make charts and graphs and I'm going to check cervical mucus and all that wild stuff that you do (laughs) When you are very intentional about wanting to get pregnant. Um, and, and, you know, all, all systems kind of pointed towards that it would be easy for us. And it wasn't easy for us. Um, it took us about six months to get pregnant the first time. And I ended up having an early miscarriage um, around, uh, I think I was around eight or nine weeks. And, um, and the way that I found out about that was that I had, I was, I thought that I might have a UTI or something, and I didn't have a family doctor at the time, so I went to emerge, and you know was just hoping to get some antibiotics or something. I was a little bit worried about um, if if there was a potential that. Um, I had a UTI that that might cause issues with the pregnancy. And that was something I was, I was kind of thinking about. So again, just wanting to be very intentional and just do the best I can do things as right as I can. Yeah. And um, as part of that exam, they were like, Oh, you're, you're early in pregnancy. Let's, do you want to scan? And I was like, Oh yeah, cool. That sounds cool. And they didn't find a heartbeat. Um, mm. So that was, that was, Very sad, and yeah, uh, I ended up getting pregnant a couple months later. Um, I think it was only maybe two or three months later, like it didn't take very long the second time. Mm -hmm. And about eight weeks in, I started spotting, and another to the emergency room and and you know they were super super kind to me and you know they did a scan and they did some blood work and they were like we're really sorry it looks like you know your your hcg is only four and at four or lower it means that you're not pregnant right so i already knew that i was miscarrying uh, but I thought, okay, I'm going to just just wait this out and and see. Maybe there's going to be some miracle, and you know they just didn't get the heartbeat on the scan the first time. And I'm going to go to my midwife appointment, and and they're going to find it, and they're going to be like, oh man, that must have been really stressful. And I'd be like, oh, it was so stressful, uh, and now everything's fine. But that wasn't the case. Um, I waited another few weeks, got a scan, no heartbeat. So at that point they were like, okay, we're gonna to refer to you to an OB and we're going to uh, give you a medication to help pass what was your baby. So the OB I saw was very, very quick and harsh and gave me a pill and um, not much happened. I, I bled a little bit, not very much happened. So when I went back for my follow-up appointment, they said, oh no, we're going to have to go refer to you a different OB who will prescribe you a different medication. Fun fact, that medication, there's an oral dose and like an internal dose. um, That medication would cost over $500 if it weren't covered by OHIP. Wow. Uh, It's an incredibly expensive medication. And the doctors did not prepare me at all uh they were like yep you might have some cramping take some tylenol right so the next day i sent my partner off to work and i was just at home i you know i figured okay i'll make sure i'm maybe off work for the day uh and i was alone in my apartment and uh at that point i was almost 11 weeks along Um, and i now know that that medication isn't actually supposed to be given that far along so I ended up basically going into labor uh, at home in my apartment. It was extremely painful. It was not something I should have been alone for, in my yeah. opinion. Um, it was it was absolutely terrible. I passed a whole bunch of tissue. It it was absolutely awful. And that weekend, I was like, "All right." I'm gonna go to Toronto. I'm gonna go hang out with my brother and my best friend. And we're gonna go to Sneaky D's, we're gonna get nachos, we're gonna have beers. We're gonna try and find a band that plays really loud, fast music. And this might just be what I need. After that weekend, uh, which felt very cathartic.
0: Mm, (laughs) Um,
1: I went back in for a checkup and they said, oh no, there's still tissue. So they ended up doing a DNC. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, that experience was kind of awful because the week before, on my own radio show, um, I'd interviewed a woman who was talking about um, violence against women in the in the healthcare system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, as they were about, to, oh, they, so I also driven myself that morning to that appointment. So I said, okay, can I like? go home, pick my partner. We only had one car at the time. I said, can I go pick my partner up? And uh, can he be here with me? And I said, nope, nope, we're going to do it right now. Wouldn't let me go pick my partner up. So I called him. He ended up just calling another friend to who gave him a ride, luckily. Um, mm-hmm. But then right as they're about to put me under, the OB goes, oh, I heard your radio show last week. Mm. And that was it. I was like, Oh crap! That was not a good episode for you to hear, friend like that no. was so that that was a thing um so at that point after that i'd I'd had two miscarriages pretty much back to back within less of a year of each other, and I was feeling pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really sad. It felt like um I called them my bookend losses where
0: like I lost my mom and then I was losing these babies. Like layers of, upon layers of grief and not only grief about the losses, but grief about all the experiences associated with the losses, grief mm-hmm. about the kind of care and knowledge you wish you had had in those experiences, grief about the, the spectrum of losing your mom and then losing as a mom and all of the pieces in between and then this whole identity piece that's kind of woven throughout and mm-hmm. and grieving who am I and how do I fit in here? And still well, you know, well while, while wrestling with depression throughout all of that experience. And so you have all of this grief and grief tinged life experience. You know, you've talked about what some of the challenges were that you faced. Were there any challenges in in the in the grieving and the experience of all those experiences that you wanted to highlight in terms of some of the things that were really hard, you've done a really great job of of kind of talking about the hard bits as you tell your story. Right? Is there anything you wanted to add?
1: Yeah, um, and I did to to tie that story up to. I did end up having a third miscarriage um, when I had already actually been scheduled at that point uh, or at that point they scheduled me for, for like some it's more specific testing around why this was happening. It took three miscarriages to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then while I was waiting on that appointment, uh, I got pregnant with my son.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I I think one of the most challenging things that ties all of these bits and pieces together, and I won't want to say struggle with, but that I still think about for sure like I'm conscious of is um working in the medical system and within the medical system and being a woman in the medical system um being a motherless child childless mother at various points in that system and seeing the different ways I'm treated and um you know holes within that system I you know I mentioned earlier it's I'm not a person who works well in systems Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's surprising why. Um, that's just, Mm -hmm. you
0: know, one example of a system that has been hard to deal with. And, and in each of those spaces in your grief experiences and your loss experiences, you, um, you found some of the gaps and they landed on you in a way that hurt. And so even when there are good people working in a system that is supposed to have good intentions. There are gaps, and there's sometimes those hurts that happen on top of the experience that your body is actually going through. Right? Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And so it is challenging. It's challenging to navigate a system you don't you don't necessarily know it as much about as the folks working in it. Um, it's challenging to navigate relationships in that system when you are having such a painful experience and trying just to keep your balance um, and get the get your needs met and feeling kind of vulnerable really vulnerable right Mm -hmm. yeah so you've had you know this is a, um, a good portion of your life that you've spent wrestling with these issues and um trying to make sense of it and 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 make meaning so that you could have the, your best life and parent your beautiful son what would you say are the things that have helped you with your grief that have helped you sort of heal through this process so that you can carry it in a way that it's not hurting you as much
1: i really love this question um because as much as you know i just told this like super sad deep dark awful story that doesn't mean that you know during that time in my life so many incredible things happened too um a lot of them to do with interests that I have I think that having interests and and committing to engaging with them actively even when I'm feeling terrible has been really good for me um I feel lucky that I have, I I genuinely have lots of diverse interests. I'm, I'm also glad that I, I happen to be a person who I like to do work. I like to do things. I like to be busy and active and I, I truly enjoy that. So I think that's been really important for me. Um, I think that, uh, Gosh, the most most obvious answer, uh, over a decade of psychotherapy. Right, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Truly, let's, not, for, let's uh, not forget the therapists, right? You know, like
1: <laughs> I will shout my therapist out all day long. Um, you know, I and and I do want to say, like, I I have so much love for people who are curious about accessing therapy for whatever reason, um, and and struggling to find. A therapist who's the right fit for them uh because that that's challenging like i went through like four or five therapists between the time my mom died and when i found my current therapist about six years ago um and and yeah, I mean, for various reasons, those therapeutic relationships ended along the way and doesn't mean I didn't, you know, take bits and pieces from from those experiences, but it, it wasn't the right fit yeah. uh, until I found my current therapist and she's amazing. She is, is very knowledgeable about EMDR, which is something that I hope to try eventually and um, inner child work as well, mm-hmm. which... At first there was like this very logical type A Capricorn side of me that was like, inner child work. That sounds like some crazy stuff, but like that <laughs> sounds like, I don't know, like literally sitting there talking to myself as like a three-year-old. That sounds like some I'm not that kind of crazy, but that I was in the right place one day and and we decided to give it a shot. And that was like a hugely pivotal point for me that I would definitely recommend um, to anyone who, who has gone through any kind of childhood trauma. The simple act of learning that I, I could trust my adult self. And it sounds like the simple thing like, oh, yeah, of course you can trust your... T-. No, no, no. Like it shifted something
0: so deeply for me. Um, so that, that was some really important work. It sounds like to me, what helped you was having interests that kept you busy and were able to distract you from some of the difficult feelings until you had the right support to, to sit with those feelings in an in a intentional way with a purpose of healing. And so it wasn't that you weren't with the feelings when you were also using those interests to um, keep yourself busy and, um, and, and you know giving back in your community. And being um, connected to people. It was that that was kind of um, a supportive action you were taking as you went through these different therapists who gave you maybe bits and pieces, but couldn't do the whole package until you found the therapist you have now, who's really resonating with you. The work you're doing now is really connecting to the things that you need for healing some of those wounds.
1: Yes, and no. I See, I, I spent a lot of time being, I want to say being accused, but that sounds really negative. Having, having people think that the reason that I like to be busy or active, whatever kind of language you want to use, was a way of distracting. Hmm. And I don't actually believe that that was true for me. Uh, it wasn't about distraction. It was about genuinely engaging with things that I liked and having that continuous reminder that there are things that feel good. There are things that are enjoyable. There are things that are fulfilling. And I think that, so I don't think that was distraction.
0: No, it was the ability to hold both. The ability mm-hmm. to hold the fact that you have pain in your life and also the ability to hold the fact that there are good things in your life and you have joy and, and pleasure. And so it's not the same as a distraction in that regard completely. Um, It's, it's that, that ability to encompass and hold both.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I truly, I think that that kept me alive at certain Mm -hmm. points in my life. Yeah. Uh, I know maybe sounds a little melodramatic, but I, yeah. I absolutely believe it to be true. Yeah. I think that the fact that I don't think it would have been good for me to give up a whole bunch of these pieces of myself that feel important or these things, not myself, but things that, that I enjoy doing. I see a lot of people who are trying to figure out how to be well, whatever that means or looks like for them. I see a lot of people my age uh, thinking that that means cutting out things that they really enjoy. I wonder if maybe that's a little bit because of not wanting to distract themselves or if it's a little bit because I think when you're used to grief or feelings like it, uh, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's hard to believe that good things can be good. So I, I see a lot of people like... Yeah, cutting themselves off from things that they enjoy because they're scared to let themselves enjoy those things or or that doesn't look like the balance that they want, maybe, which, you know, whatever, if that is what it
0: is, um, whether that's social media or smoking weed. Sometimes I think we think that when we're grieving or when we are being adults we have to let go of some of the pleasure and joy and comfort in the world and, and, and set it aside to be with our grief or to be responsible adults. And I think that being able to find that balance and have both, right, to be able to hold pain and to have comfort and pleasure and joy and to, to know that that's part of a whole well-rounded life and that you don't have to abandon the good things because these other things happen responsibilities, Mm -hmm. obligations, pain, grief.
1: Something that my miscarriages specifically taught me um, and, and the birth of my son at at the end of kind of that uh, chapter for me, it taught me to celebrate Mm. to just be okay with celebrating. And, you know, I really learned who my, I want to say true friends, maybe that's not what I mean. I mean, Friends who um, I want to walk forward with me at this point in my life uh, were the friends who could celebrate with me during that time. Uh, My partner and I also... um, changed our last names. We combined our last names to make a whole new last name and had a non-wedding. Cause of course, you know, I can't do systems, so I'm not going to get married. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but you know, we're down for a good party. And
0: <laughs> and you're ready to commit and show that commitment to the world, right? Just not in a, not as part of a system. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, like we were already committed. We've been together for like 11 years already. We, were, yeah. we just yeah. wanted to like celebrate starting our family. Right. uh so that was that was pretty great so it was interesting during that and my pregnancies and and you know especially being pregnant for gosh i was pregnant four times in just over a year yeah. um that's a lot like can you imagine being my best friend and like every couple months i'm like dude here's a positive pregnancy test picture and she's like i don't know if i'm supposed to be excited or not and yeah. Right, like there's yeah. something to be said for that experience
0: too, right? There is, and sort of being able to be authentic in the the hope that lives amid the grief. In the work that I do with bereaved parents who've experienced pregnancy and infant loss, when they tell me of an of a new pregnancy after a loss, I say almost the same thing every time, and that is, congratulations. It's terrifying, right? Yes so real because you have this hope amidst this feeling of fear and pain and and so you got to carry both you got to carry both and figure out how to do it in your own authentic way and the people who can show up for you in that space where you're in between Mm -hmm. right you haven't landed
1: in a way I at this point in my life see it all as a gift it's just part of my story it's a neutral thing it's just an experience and I'm so grateful for where I'm at now
0: I have so much perspective
1: on where I'm at now
0: it's pretty yeah. cool well yeah and it's and it's cool in part if I may say so because you've taken the time and done the work and brought your heart to it right mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. you 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 may not control it all but you certainly own it it's mm-hmm. yours you've made it yours. And, uh, and I'm really, really grateful for you sharing your story with us. Um, it's a powerful one because it's woven with so many different pieces as, as many stories are, but it also has such an element of, of hope. And, uh, and, and we hope that when we share stories here through grief stories, we hope that people will find threads that they can also find hope in for themselves. So thank you for sharing your story. Thanks so much
1: for uh, chatting with me. I appreciate you.
0: Uh, I appreciate you too. Thanks, Liz. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Grief Stories podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Pollard. Please remember that grief is universal, but every person's experience of grief is unique. While our interviews are intended to help listeners feel validation and reassurance, we know that this story might be different from your own. Please visit our website, griefstories.org, for more stories of hope and healing.